Weeping willow with your tears running down, why do you always weep and frown? Is it because he left you one day? Is it because he could not stay? On your branches he would swing. Do you long for the happiness that day would bring? He found shelter in your shade. He thought his laughter would never fade. Weeping willow, stop your tears. There is something to calm your fears. You think death has ripped you forever apart, and I know he'll always be in your heart. phenomenal movie but for what it is you know I can't believe you well, I can't believe you although you know this hit just hits hard for me because this is like one of my coming of age stories yeah and, and I knew I know how much you loved this movie back when we were kids and stuff but. you know people talk about their first celebrity crushes Hollywood crushes or whatever like this is genuinely like my first first crush was With Macaulay Culkin was Macaulay Culkin yeah and no, it was uh, Anna Klumsky. And I don't know what it was, and even more so in My Girl 2 or something, because... She's still a knockout, though. Like, like on Veep? Yeah, yeah. Like, like she's still... Uh, and I can say this because she's older than me, and yeah. so... I, was gonna say, I don't then, know if we'd say still, but, you know, she's... Yeah, like, she, she we was grew older, up... Yeah. yeah, she was the same age as us. Older. She basically... Yeah, and, and, and so we kind of grew up in that same... That same age. So there's nothing range. wrong with saying that. <laughs> there probably is, but I don't know. This was my first crush when I was younger, and uh, and yeah, when I saw crush. and she didn't really do anything. She did like the My Girl too. She did a movie with um, who played Wednesday in the Adam Stanley, Christina Ricci. Yeah. Um, she did a movie with her, and that was really it. And then she disappeared. And it's the same thing with Macaulay Culkin. He did Home Alone. Well, he did Uncle Buck. Then he did Home Alone. Then he did this movie. Then he did Home Alone 2. He did Richie Rich. She was in Uncle Buck, too. Yeah, I heard that. But I also heard that My Girl was the first movie she was in. No, so. I remember her in Uncle Buck. That's oh, that's why I was like, before we started the episode, I was like, holy crap, I remember that. That's weird, because I know before this, she was just doing plays and stuff. But oh, her, her, and, her and Culkin were in uh, Uncle Buck together. But You can't really call him Culkin, right? Like... You don't refer to Why? Because Culkin his as, brothers are more successful now? Mm, yes and no, but I, I just think that I can't really say agree with you on that term either, because, or that statement either, because, you know, Macaulay Culkin is one of those people, you have to say his full name. You know, it's like, not, like saying instead of Brad Pitt, you say... 
Pitt. Yeah, but back in the day, they called him Mac for short. They'd be like, Mac right. is back, you know. So well, Macaulay Michael Jackson Culkin. called him that, too. Well, you know, but, you know, for, I mean, and this didn't have anything to do with Home Alone, but, like, he did Home Alone, was successful, and then, like, one of the taglines for My Girl, even though he's not the main character, is Mac is back. It's I just, like he almost stole the movie. Well, I just imagine Macaulay Culkin, like, and, and this is going back to your statement, but Macaulay Culkin sitting on top of a hill, and his brother's, you know, doing so many more movies than him and so many different TV shows than him, you know, uh, than he's ever done. And he's still sitting on top of the hill and they're still trying to climb up to get to that top of the hill. Like, like basically he, he just because he exists, he is far superior when it comes to his success than any of them, in my opinion. Well, he may not have done as much. Because I think they've been a lot more successful right, but as that's far what I'm as saying. how many they, how many movies and roles that they've done. But yeah, but that's what I'm saying. He's sitting on top of that hill, laughing at him the entire. Time. But yeah, it's just that because in the early '90s you have these precocious type of uh, young actors who are well beyond their years and everything. But you know what? He didn't. He, he, the problem is, is when when he was, you know, when he was at the peak of his career, you know. As a child actor, mainly, you know, that's really what he's known for, being a child actor. But he's one of these rare types of child actors that didn't really get into any trouble. And until, and mind you, until... Maybe he, he did, but it just wasn't in the spotlight. Adult. Yeah, but, I mean, every single one of these child actors, you know, were in the spotlight just as much as he was and somehow went wrong one way or another. Well, and that's the same thing with the other Culkins. And I think it's because that their their careers were... Very closely watched and managed by the parents mm-hmm. and everything, um, and uh, they weren't—they probably just weren't allowed to do a lot of things. Whereas you had like Drew Barrymore, and she was just allowed to do whatever. She well, this at, family's kind of run like the the Olsons. What was that? Too. What was that old club that got shut down? There's a movie about it. Something forty, right? Fifty-four studio, yeah, studio, studio something, whatever yeah. it's called. I think you know she used to hang out back then, back in the days. So, you know, a lot of it's, yeah, I think that they were much closely managed. They probably had a lot healthier of a career um, than than a lot of younger stars. But, you know, I like these actors that, that break through the norm, uh, not just yelling kids in the movie, just a typical kid, but the word precocious, you know, meaning wise beyond your years mm-hmm. or whatever. And that's what, that's what Veda, the character, is in this movie. But, you know, Anna Klumsky, who plays Veda, in an in a interview when she was an adult, was asked about this. and was asked about how, how well, because, you know, she did such a good job with putting, you know, portraying her, her thoughts and mannerisms and sounding grown up and sounding like, um, you know, you know, using these big words and all this kind of stuff, you know. Both her and Macaulay Culkin, the way they delivered stuff, you know, it's just so well done for these kids. But, you know, she had made the point that, you know, when we're kids, it's normal for kids to act well because they don't have the trappings of adulthood. You know, we spend our whole lives trying to cover up what's natural because really we put a facade of ourselves, right? Who we are in our most private moments, what we think about in our head or whatever, you know, we don't say a lot of that stuff out loud or or whatever it may be. Whereas kids, they just say whatever's on their mind, but we spend years trying to trying to create this, you know, certain type of persona that we present to the world, and then as when you as you become an actor, you know, she's like, you know, then you have to learn to strip all of that away again to be more real, 
So it's, it's a pretty good point that she makes, though, that, that you know, uh, kid stars, <clears throat> kid stars just don't have that fakeness that they put on. So it's, you know, a, a lot of adult stars will look like they're acting instead of being natural mm -hmm. because they have to pretend whereas kids it's all just real for them you know it's 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 pretend but you know they're putting their real selves in these situations so they can react and act like they would normally so i don't know i guess that's why a lot of kids actors you know they it, it feel things feel a lot more real and this story does feel a lot more real it doesn't have like a lot of the usual stuff but just like off the wall weird stuff you know with Grandma and different things around the house and the way Veda reacts to certain things and the way that she's a hypochondriac and all that. I don't know. It just seems a lot more real. I think they, they did a really good job of capturing this same story that's been told over and over of coming of age, but doing it in a, you know, a pretty unique way that lasts. Except for part two. I, I even liked part two. It wasn't it was the same director and everything. It wasn't that bad. It wasn't. It definitely wasn't as good as the first one. Yeah. But it had Austin O'Brien. Who? Whatever happened to that guy? Austin O'Brien, the one, the main dude in the second one, that like has the actual romantic relationship with Veda. He's in Corey Feldman's basement. Or he's with that other dude from Ten Things I Hate About You, the new cult. Yeah. <laughs> that they started in California. Yeah. I don't know, but he was in like. He was in the Babysitters Club. He was in this. He was in Last Action Hero. Uh, what are what are some of the other? He 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 was doing like a lot of different things, and then suddenly he just disappeared. You want to introduce this movie real quick, so and then we can get into the other. I well, I just want to say this guy Austin O'Brien that was in part two. He had like the Lawnmower Man, Last Action Hero, Priesteria with the little dinosaurs. Uh, My Girl Two, of course, Apollo Thirteen, The Babysitters Club. Oh, I remember Club. him. There. Uh, Lawnmower Man 2 he was in and I remember that too yeah. yeah so I mean he did all those things and of course like the main guy in Last Action Hero which we love Yeah. but and then he, you know he did a couple TV spots and then he just went away it's like That's he weird. decided to stop or maybe just made some bad decisions he's been in a few other things <laughs> like he, made some bad decisions. he was in something in 2013 a couple shorts in 2015 yeah interesting um Anyways, but uh, yeah, today we're talking about My Girl. Uh, this film came out in 1991. It was directed by Howard Zeef, uh, written by uh, Loris Elwani, uh, or Elowani. I'm not sure which one it is, but um, she actually wrote this uh, as a, uh, she needed to write a, um, a script um, for, for like a college class or like an AFI film school or something like that. Mm -hmm. And ended up writing this because she had a friend who, when, who lived in when the, she was younger yeah. that lived in the funeral home and thought it would be an interesting story to tell. Um, but uh, this movie, uh, of course, it stars uh, Anna Klumski as uh, Veda Saltonfuss, Macaulay Culkin as Thomas J. Sennett, Dan Aykroyd as Harry Saltonfuss, Jamie Lee Curtis as Shelley DeVoto. It also stars uh, Richard, uh, Richard Masur, uh, Griffin Dunn, Ann Nelson, Peter Michael Getz. Uh, Jane Halloran, Anthony R. Jones, Tom Villard, uh, among many others uh, that play, you know, a lot of small parts. And a lot of people I just named are small parts. But really, it's like these main, like, six or seven 
characters in there, right? Well, you know, mm-hmm. Veda, Thomas J, Harry, Shelley, Phil, Mr. Bixler, and Gramu. They're like the mainstays of this. You have little people like Judy is going to be the eventual friend and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. But <clears throat> um, Dan Aykroyd and Jamie Lee Curtis coming together uh, after like almost a decade or something. That's when they did Trading Places, yeah. right? Yeah. Yeah. And, and Trading Places was a great movie. What do you remember about Trading Places? Because I know I've seen it. I just don't remember it. I know that well, like you had Eddie Murphy. Eddie Murphy was like a bomb or like a yeah. like a swindler or something on the streets. Yeah. And then you had Dan Aykroyd who acted, you know, who he's such a phenomenal actor. Really, right. You know, but he acted such, you know, like the hoity-toity you know bougie oh that's uh, right like his boss like yeah. pushed him out of the company and made like eddie murphy like the figurehead or something and they found out so they like teamed up afterwards to like yeah and him he, down he had his own butler and i remember the butler that's right and i think jamie lee curtis played like a prostitute or yes, something like did. that in the yeah. movie yeah yeah that's that's where that was 1983 and this movie comes out in 1991 so about 10 years since they've um mm-hmm. They've been in a movie. I guess. I guess I didn't realize this was so late in their careers. Yeah, it, it's funny because you know I was looking at Dan Aykroyd's age, and he's actually when he was in this movie, he was actually a year younger than I am now. Jeez, which that kind of either makes me feel old or should make Dan Aykroyd feel old. I don't know which one. I'm pretty sure that Dan Aykroyd doesn't feel old based on how old you are. Well, this is true. <laughs> But him being so uh, prominent in our childhood and everything. Yeah. Yeah. And and so let's see. If he was born in 52, that would make him do math, Matthew. What? Do math. If he was born in 52, what? Yeah. Uh, so he'd be 50 in 02. He'd be 60 in 2012. So he's going on 70. So he'll be 70 next year. He didn't even look 70. Like, have you seen him recently? I mean, he doesn't look super old. I mean, like, well, you see him in Tommy him in Boy. While, you see him in Tommy Boy, and he, he looks a little bit older. But still, that Tommy Boy came out, what, like 20 years ago? Well, when's, the last, when's the last time we saw him? I guess the uh, Ghostbusters. Yeah, I mean, the last thing he has on his IMDb is the Ghostbusters um, remake. When he Remember, he was a cab driver. He's like, I don't do this, I don't do this, and I don't believe in no ghosts. Yeah, that was a weird cameo. But, um, yeah, especially to be listed in in this film that he helped create Ghostbusters. You know, Dan Aykroyd, you know, helped create this film. I mean, it was one of his babies, you know. I mean, it was his baby, really. I mean, he, he, I think he was the number one creator of this film. Of Ghostbusters? Yeah. Well, it was him and, uh, Harold Ramey. But but I think this was his you know Ghostbusters. Him and Harold Ramis did it yeah. together. Yeah, it yeah. was their it was their thing. And and the fact that they put him as cabbie and that's all he's listed at uh, on the movie. <laughs> well, I mean, he agreed with it. So I mean, what are you gonna do? You know, if, I don't know. I just I, uh, you know Jamie Lee Curtis. She's playing the female lead in this. Uh, well, not the female lead, but you know the the adult female lead. Mm-hmm. And uh, she's actually been acting in movies for longer than um, Dan Aykroyd has. Yeah, but if you take in his television appearances, I mean... Yeah, you know. but she has television appearances, too. I mean, he, his were like 1977, 1978, which is when hers started. But she had her first movie, which was Halloween, um, in 1978. 
And his first was 1980 in the Blues Brothers. So hmm. I just thought that was kind of kind of an interesting thing that you know you know as far as see what their career tra- trajectories are mm-hmm. from basically 78 80 until now you mm-hmm. know a good a little over a decade and this is where we're at now yeah um anna klumsky um coming kind of out of nowhere um to star in this movie uh she was doing uh she had been in commercials she was doing a play in chicago i had to be in chicago i mean i don't think this this girl has one of the most hardcore chicago accents i've ever heard um but yeah Anna. so anna klumsky um doing her things here and again here and there i guess she was she had a little cameo in uncle buck with macaulay culkin as you say Macaulay Culkin. No, she had a cameo oh, in Uncle Buck. Buck. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, she. Um, I, I remember that now, but I, I had to look it up just to to confirm it because I was like, wait a minute, that yes, now I recognize her. Yeah. Uh, Macaulay Culkin coming off of Home Alone, uh, the very first Home Alone, and Uncle Buck, of course, and then he would do uh, Home Alone Two and Richie Rich and a few others, and then just like Anna Klumsky, kind of disappeared for a while. Doing little things, probably investors. I think he found out that, he, you know, he didn't see how much money he was making until he was 18 years old. Like, he waited until then or whatever, and then he went and did his own thing. You know, he's been in, like, Party Monster. Was it Party Monster or yeah. Sex Monster or whatever? Party Monster. Party Monster with Seth Green. I think that was a Seth Green film. Didn't Seth Green direct that or something mm, like that, too? I think so. I can't remember, but... um. So he did that. and But, I mean, he's, he's done his own things. You know, it's funny because he had... Uh, uh, he had a band called I think it's called The Pizza Underground What? Well I was gonna say He was in The Good Son too Right And he was uh, Quite the character In The Good Son Yeah that was one of our uh, Trivia questions With the Horn Hills uh, ladies It was it, um, was it was him in The Good Son And everything But I mean like I said You know he did some stuff As a kid it was real popular And then just kind of disappeared But as he got to be older He, he has a, a Tribute band To the uh, what is it? Uh, the Velvet Underground? Is it Velvet oh. or Velvet Revolver? Oh, oh yeah, 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 Velvet Revolver. I think. Right. What is it? Like it's the Pizza Underground, right? Uh. <laughs> I didn't know he was uh, musically inclined. You know, it's funny is because when when they did this this movie, you know, a lot of parents didn't want to take their kids to watch this movie. For the sole reason that Macaulay Culkin died. Again, we don't care about spoilers. Well, easy, easy with the spoilers. But the fact that he died, a lot of parents, because at the time, you know, he was like the star, you know, the kid star that everybody knew and and everybody loved from Home Alone and Uncle Buck. You didn't let me talk about my pizza thing before you jump into this. Well, hey, you were looking something. No, I was just saying the pizza underground, it's a spoof of the Velvet Underground. But they would replace pizza with whatever the song was talking about. It'd be about pizza. Oh, good God. So, like, uh, one of their, uh, instead of um, all tomorrow's parties, it was all pizza's parties. Femme Fatale, it was Pizza Gal. Uh, Instead of walk on the wild side, it's take a bite of the wild slice. You know, so it's all pizza-related stuff, which I thought was cool because Calvin McAllister of Home Alone is huge about his pizza, you know. 
So that must be a Macaulay Culkin thing as well. So that's kind of what he's doing now. But sorry, go ahead. No, no, I did, I was I just thought you were busy. That's no, no. I was just I was yeah. I had to so, I had to mention his band because <laughs> he's pretty proud of his band. And but everything, a, so, but a lot of the you know a lot of parents didn't want to take their kids because he was like the number one star, you know, child star, or whatever at, at at this time, and the fact that he died in it, they didn't want to ruin their kids' perception. And that's why the him. studio actually hired psychologists. Yeah. to watch a movie and tell parents basically it's all right to bring your kids now this is a natural type of thing that kids learn in life and it's a good way to show it for the sole reason of macaulay culkin you know and and because it just goes to show how how great of an actor he was i mean even at that age and and i've always been a fan of his i mean he i wish he would have done a lot more but you know it's understandable too you know i mean he wants to live a life you know the kind of life he wants to live you know and so you got to give that to him at least but you know it, it just the fact that he was able to carry you know and and he in in this film he wasn't even a major major character really no and actually they had to they added a couple scenes because just because you know he was a big star and they had very good chemistry him yeah. and anna klumsky so they actually added a couple scenes i think like the scene at the beginning when she took those boys in to see the body or whatever and thomas j just walked away he's like no i don't need to see that i think that was added and maybe when they went in the camp or a couple scenes that were added that he didn't really need to be there but they liked the chemistry between yeah. the two so they added some well i mean look at him as an actor too is is you know he had good chemistry with every single person that we saw him on film with you know what i mean like it was i i never saw him on film that that i was like yeah that they just don't kind of click together really that well but with Macaulay Culkin, I just don't see him having any bad chemistry. I mean, Joe Pesci, you know. No, um, he's an enigmatic kid. Extremely. He, John Candy. I mean, you know, all, all, yeah. the, all these these great actors that that he had such <laughs> the way he phenomenal. he used to piss John Candy off and, uh, and Uncle Buck. That was hilarious. Yeah. But he wouldn't let him in the house. Remember? That was hilarious. Yes. <laughs> yes. And, you know, he, he, he plays the nerdy kid. He plays the... the that that character very well you know what i mean the outcast child you know and he plays that very very well just like in this film he you know he played you know sort of the outcast child you know because he was allergic to everything yeah you know and and we, when we get to this story it's like you know you find out pretty pretty early on that he is allergic to everything uh-huh. right um it chocolate you know she Jamie Lee Curtis offers him chocolate and he's just like, no. And, and, you know, it's almost like, she's like, no, just take it. No, I'm allergic. No, no, no. Go ahead. Just take it. <laughs> to chocolate. Yes. To everything. Yes. <laughs> Dark past. <laughs> you know, she's coming off of Halloween. Yeah. Yeah. She, which is funny. Cause there's a little, uh, <clears throat> a little comment about the Myers. The Myers. Did you hear that? Yes, I did. Talk about divorce. Oh, the Myers are divorced. And she goes, Oh, and I was like, oh, they probably nah, did that for that. So. Well, either that or watch it's in the book or something. Yeah, maybe. But that—that's I don't know. That's a little bit too much of a coincidence. So, so did you think that they got Jamie Lee Curtis? And you know, we're trying to jump around a little bit more. I think with these episodes now, because we find out that if we go line for line of the episode, our podcast becomes extremely boring, even to us. Just to let our audience know, we've gotten rid of it. We have recorded a few episodes that have been tabled. For that reason in particular. Right. And we might do a Patreon because I think we have about nine episodes that I've pulled. 
Really? Yeah, that we uh, don't have up available anymore because either they were early for us and we hadn't really found our niche mm-hmm. or they just weren't a good conversation. Every once in a while, we'll find ourselves just kind of recounting everything that happens in the movie, kind of scene yeah. by scene. And then it's like, well, what are we talking about? Yeah. We're yeah. just talking about the movie. Go watch it if you want that. Exactly. You know, if you want it, uh, what we try to do is, you know, talk about it overall and then kind of just kind of try to zone in on the things that we want to talk about or make right. the most sense to us. And, and, and you know, that's why I'm going to jump around because I don't care. You're going to be like, uh, 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 what is this? Pain. Oh, gosh. You can do it. I believe in you. House of Pain. You're going to be like House of Pain jump and around. jump around. Right? Yes, yes. Okay. Um, or Everlast, whichever one you want to No, it's going to be House of Pain. So, uh, anyways, you know, she's trying to offer him the chocolate, but, but uh, yeah, we got over that one already. But do you think that they got engaged extremely fast, Jamie Lee Curtis and Dan Aykroyd's characters? Well, that's another one of those... Um, I mean, one of those things the about the movies. No, it's one of those things about the movies. Like, usually in a movie, you'd have the scene where, obviously, she doesn't want her dad to get remarried. You know, it's hard enough for her to get, and we're getting into what this movie's about now, but it's hard enough to get her dad's attention as mm-hmm. it is. Now he's about to get married. It's going to be even harder to get his attention yeah. and all that kind of stuff. So you would think that in a normal movie like this, you would see a scene where it's... Um, Oh, that was going to keep good beat for us. <laughs> Anyways. I thought it was ticking down the time that we had. No, you would think that it, uh, it would have the scene where we see him propose, see her lose her collective caca and, you know, have some kind of a funny scene about it. Right. Like yeah. where she ruins the proposal or whatever, but it just, they're at the carnival and she just notices the ring. Yeah. It's weird. We, we, it, I want to get into that, but yeah, that's, that's it was, really it was weird. extremely fast, but you know, the, the thing that I had a problem with is that, well, at first, right, I'm like, okay, you know, Jamie Cur- Lee Curtis at the time, you mm-hmm. know, I'm not saying not, not anymore, but she was a knockout, you know, mm-hmm. at the, at, 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 you know, when this movie first aired and Halloween and everything else, you she know, she may have been a screen screen queen. Yes. But that she was still a queen. Yes. But, you know, she was, and then, and then you get, <laughs> then you get Dan Aykroyd. And it's like very unbelievable. Uh, yeah, very yeah. unbelievable until you see her ex-husband. When you see her ex-husband, the one that Dan Aykroyd, Dan Aykroyd's character, taste, I guess. yes, yes. So I don't even know who this dude is. That just made sense at that point. You know, when 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 her ex-husband showed up, I'm like, oh, okay. So she's not really a, a gold digger per se, or even one of these. Uh, you know, marrying for the money or marrying for anything else. She just likes, I don't know though, because I have something to say about that because that dude owned his own studio. This other dude owns his own business. I I have something to say about that. Yeah, but that guy's kind of douchey. Because I wanted to get into why is this person going after this schlubby guy who takes her to a bingo night with people that are twice their age and they're the only young ones in there for their first days. So, I mean, now that's who he is, and that's fine. And there's people like that, and that's completely fine. But it just doesn't seem to be what she's going for. You know, she she is dressed up a certain way. She is made up a certain way. She has dreams of going to Hollywood and everything. But she ultimately comes very quickly, just switch over to, I'm good to just chill here. Anyways, let's get into it. 
Um, <clears throat> wait, we weren't arguing. Well, you know that. what I mean. <laughs> so, so basically, Anna Klumski plays an 11-year-old girl named Veda Saltenfuss, and um, they all live in this place called Madison, Pennsylvania, although most of the filming here was done in Florida. Yeah. So, I don't know. I mean, I thought I always thought that place looked great, but I didn't think it was Pennsylvania or Florida. You know, and, growing and, up and or I even would, as an adult, I would think it was, you know, somewhere in the south or maybe North Carolina or and I do want to mention something. It is not always sunny in Philadelphia. I'm just saying. Just <laughs> and that's one that of your favorite there. songs. That's one of your favorite shows too. Huh? Uh, I don't want to admit to that because it's such a vulgar show, and and I really shouldn't watch it. <laughs> but it it just something about Danny DeVito running around in his tidy whities and the ta- and just a um, I, I didn't want to say the term for a tank top. You know the wife beater. Okay, because we'll have to censor ourselves. Yeah. But you know, we're like running we around in, in his underwear, in his tidy whities and his and and uh, tank top, and uh, running around throughout the show quite often like that. He's and a sleeping with his show. own son in a couch bed, uh, in in a in a in a studio apartment. Yeah, and happens to be extremely rich too. But for but I don't know. It's He's a maniac in that show, isn't he? He's just like off the wall. He's well, McHenry and 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 you know, um, all all those guys. You know, I mean, he. It was a genius that created the show, you know. And well, um, did you get saved? I think so. So they live in Madison, Pennsylvania. I think this Madison is a made-up name. There's Madison probably everywhere. Probably, There's I don't bridges know. Bridges of Madison County, maybe I mean, for, for all things. So. Uh, but it's 1972. This is one of the things I want to ask. Why do you think they? Because there was a few 90s movies that, like now and now and then. Uh, I know there's a couple others, and I'm being silly, like Forrest Gump. I mean, but I mean, there's a lot of '90s movies that had like '90s had a '70s nostalgia, you know. Mm-hmm. Instead of like Bell Bottoms came back for a little bit in the '90s, you know. So did Jinkos, which is like the '90s version of Bell Bottoms, yeah. and you know, it just felt like you know, you know how you have something that's retro every once in a while. Like right now, we're going through an '80s. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, like the last five, ten years, we've yeah. been going through like an '80s retro thing, and I think we're moving back into the '90s again. Well, like Stranger Things, you know, uh, that was real 80s nostalgia. And I, that's why I love that. I love watching that show. Not so much. I mean, the, the, the story is awesome. The characters are awesome. Um, you know, some characters that I wouldn't normally like, I really like in the show. But it's like, you know, the nostalgia of the 80s is what does it for me in that yeah. show. You know, now I can tell you the one reason. That's why, why I've been show. loving like the last five 10 years or whatever we've been having stuff like there's a lot of stuff i don't like but the stuff i do like in the last five or ten years has basically been like an 80s nostalgia stuff yeah yeah like stranger things but well yeah and and take me home tonight love that movie great movie yeah and and uh we should do a podcast on that one i mean i'm just saying or maybe doing one of these ones of the flashback i have the, the soundtrack 80s. for take me home tonight yeah i bet but i don't the only person i don't like is what's his name toe for grace yeah yeah i, I don't like the guy well I, he's like the whole movie and everything but there's a lot I like about the the movie. Okay, so you asked the question of why did they... Why did they set it in the 70s? I'm going to tell you why. <laughs> okay, tell my, me why. This is my take on it. All right. I'm not saying they didn't have EpiPens at that point. Oh, yeah, that's right. You brought this point I out. believe that the sole reason is because any kid nowadays that is allergic to bees or peanut peanuts, you know, or, you know, severe, deathly, aller, you know, allergic reactions... You know, I, I feel like nowadays every single one of these kids has one in their backpack, in their pocket, you know, uh, strapped to them in some way, shape, or form. 
that if this were to ever happen, if they were to have an allergic reaction, then they just use the EpiPen and bam, you know. Now, they were, now, granted, he did get stung by quite a few. They were invented in the mid nineteen seventies, so it's been around since the seventies. But the FDA finally approved them for like normal people to have in yeah. nineteen eighty seven. So I mean, I say that's the reason because think maybe. about it. Because if a kid that was that allergic to peanuts, chocolate, um, bees, but to base the air, whole thing on like just a side character's ailment, I don't care. I don't care. I'm, I'm saying it. I'm <laughs> saying like, it. I'm, I, I'm my, saying the this sole is, reason this that it is, was based. You're saying this is your truth. Yes, I'm and saying the sole reason. Now, obviously, more more or less, the reason is probably like this person, the writer of this of this story probably grew up at this age in the 70s probably and she wrote about her friend that lived in a funeral home so she wanted to you know and they always say with writers write what you know yeah so you probably had a writer in the late 80s early 90s writing this thing took Mm -hmm. them back to their childhood but i don't care it's 70s and 80s it's the epipen but it's the epipen because think about it because it wouldn't be much of a movie obviously it would be uh definitely rachel this is a rachel moment but you know it would be definitely a rachel moment in the sense that you know if you had an epipen it the movie just well actually actually reverse this okay take out the part him dying uh-huh would that really <gasps> of just ruin the surprise i know <laughs> but i'm on a, i'm on a roll here okay okay take out the part of him dying all right would that have ruined the story or changed the story so dramatically that it wouldn't have really got the writer's purpose and the writer's uh intent across I think so because you have to have a, you have to have an event that um, basically changes everything in the main characters, you know their their plot and their story. You you have to have that because, and I want to get into this, but it's you know she she has had trouble trying to deal with her mother's death since she was born since she could think you know she's not know how to deal with it she's had her dad that doesn't know how to deal with it so you know they both don't know how to deal with it together and so she's needed something to now i'm not saying that it was good that thomas J died so that she could get over her issues or anything like that but sometimes you have those things that just naturally happen in life you have tragedies and it's how characters or how we should take those tragedies how we should learn from them how we should carry them and use it positively. But they could have what they could have done is just, you know, have Dan Aykroyd and J- Jamie Lee Curtis's characters get married and that would have upended her in a way that might have you know, straightened her out and, and just realizing, you know, what it's like because you know, she saw the way that Thomas J's mother was with him. It had to be death though. It had to be death because she was obsessed with death. Okay. And she was extremely afraid of death. Okay. So because of her mom and everything. So there had to be another death that was close to home that she had to react differently. Because if it was just a marriage, you had to have something substantial. Because you could see that the, those two adult leads were kind of heading that direction anyways. And so I think you just needed something, some kind of big shocker. Yeah. I don't know. I, I, I agree with you on that pretty much 100%. Because, you know, again, she her family deals in death right you know and and so a death would be the only thing that i mean you know she sees these dead people right Uh but if she had a mother 
you know. But she's not seen Bruce Willis yet. <laughs> well, no. That would be a scary thing. But, uh, no, you, you see, you know, her dad just kind of really lets her walk around, you know, basically pay her, her friends pay her to, to, to go see dead bodies and whatnot. But and she wants her dad's attention. Exactly. But what I'm saying is, is that's obviously not working, you know, because he, you know, he allows her to do, go around and do whatever, he, you know, she wants. But that was also the back in the day. I mean, when we were kids in the 80s and even in the early 90s, I mean, we really got to just kind of go around and do what we wanted. It's not like it is nowadays where it's like, where are you going? Don't go where I can't see you. Don't go food too far down the street because of just the insanity in this world. You know, we're we're very uncomfortable with how we let our kids do everything. I don't know. I, that's how yeah. I see that as because that's why I was like, well, maybe that's another reason it was set in the 70s is because kids had a lot more freedom to just go out and do stuff. But so they, they did in the 90s as well. It's just nowadays you can't have that anymore. Yeah, I just think, I don't know, like... <clears throat> Like, I, I talked to you about this yesterday, too, because I, I felt like Dan Aykroyd's character, he really didn't, he he almost didn't want to have anything to do with his daughter. You know, like, you, you know, he kind of let her pretty much do whatever she wanted to. And, and you know, and like Thomas J was saying, it's dark. My mom doesn't like me to be out when it's dark, mm. you know. Dan Aykroyd's character doesn't seem like he really, I mean, he cares about her, but he's very standoffish with her. And, and, and maybe it's just because it's either he doesn't know how to raise a girl, mm -hmm. which is a part of it. Yeah. Or in a way he somewhat blames her for his, uh, his wife's death. I remember you saying that yesterday when we were watching it. Um, I think there's probably some truth to that. You know, I think, so the main crux of the entire story, the main problem of for our main character, is she has she is overwhelmed with guilt because she feels like she killed her mother. Right. So her whenever her mother gave birth to her, she her mother died two days later as a result of complications from the childbirth, and so her whole thing is she's traumatized because she feels guilt for being responsible for her mother's death. And she's trying to figure out how to deal with that. And she deals with that by um, by taking an interest in death. You know, she, uh, she she's grown up in a funeral par parlor, you know. Um, her grandmother's gone into dementia. She's, you know, going to die soon. All this kind of stuff. You know, it's, it's one of these things, you know, every patient that comes in, she looks at their cause of death on the little clipboard and then claims to have... Uh, symptoms for that issue and goes to the family doctor who's a very tolerant doctor by the way yeah and lets her come in all the time like is this guy never busy <laughs> seeing yeah, but, patients and, and you almost think that she you know she could very well be a doctor herself in the sense that like what was it that she corrected didn't she correct jamie lee curtis about something yeah they were at the fair and they were talking about she's like yeah and then he got uh something that you can't catch uh, it was like, I don't think it was gout. It was something else, but she said he had something. She goes, you can't get that from that. And like, as she's soon as using she said scientific that, terms. Yeah. And, and like, usually she makes stuff up and has stuff yeah. all the time. But like for that, that one time, that was one time where she corrected her and was like, like, like she knew what she was yeah. talking about. And I was like, oh, maybe she'll be a doctor one day. Yeah. That's Unless what she I was wants to be too. a writer and everything. But I was definitely as soon that. as she, yeah, as soon as she said that, I was like, oh, maybe she'll be a doctor. That'd be weird because she's like studied all these ailments and everything. Mm -hmm. And as a hypochondriac that deals with that kind of stuff, yeah. you know, you, you, you figured she'd 
she'd deal with that. And, and the patience of Thomas J with her um, was very phenomenal. I thought, you know, I mean, I, I just thought he's just an affable he, kid. Yeah, he's just an easygoing kid. Wasn't concerned about cool and popular. No, but he really liked, you know, uh, Veda, and and he he really, you know. Just like you said, you know, we, we think of me, you know what I mean? He When he was more level-headed, he uh, he was more level-headed and he followed the rules. And she didn't like to follow the rules and she liked to make stuff up and, and all that, that you know. And she's but like, he put up like, I got to go home. Yeah. And she's like, oh, you always go home because, and she's like, my mom will worry, you know. He's just like very matter-of-factly like, look, these are the rules. I can't help it. I want to stay here with you, but I got to go home, yeah. you know. And I think part of him, you know, likes the comfort of his mom watching over him and making sure he gets his food and yeah. doing all these kinds of things and, and not having that, a wild and crazy life. Right, right. And the fact that his parents, even his mother, you know, I mean, they they loved, well, you don't really see the father that much except for at the funeral, but. Mm-hmm. You know, the mother really loved Veda, you know what I mean? Because even though she knew that, you know, obviously that Thomas J was on a strict regimen as far as rules go, she knew that she had to have known that Veda basically broke every one of them, you know. And and, and there's a scene right towards the end where she goes to pick up Thomas J and asks him if he wants to go ride bikes, and he goes into her house. And it's the first time you really get to see how his mom is. I mean, you get a sense that they're very protecting helicopter parents or whatever. Which is understandable, you know. Considering his his allergies and everything. But, yeah, I mean, you see him, and she keeps saying, you know, did you take your medicine? Did you do this? Did you do that? And uh, all this kind of stuff, you know, whenever they want to go out bike riding, you know, I think she said, did you? I don't know if she said you clean your room, but, you know, very strict and everything. But the way she's, like, grooming his hair as she's talking to him and gives him a kiss and, the whole time it keeps cutting back to veda just staring at them and mm-hmm. it cuts back to them and it cuts back to veda just staring at him and looking at what she's like l- looking intently and you could see that she's jealous not in a not in a bad jealous way but she envies the attachment he has to his mom and how his mom dotes on him and takes care did you do you know she's a hypochondriac and wants people to listen to her mm-hmm. false ailments so she can get some kind of attention from her dad and this kid is overloaded with attentions because he's got those real medical concerns. And I like the mirror between them. They're best friends. She wants desperately to be sick and to have something happen to her mm-hmm. because she wants attention and everything when she's really fine. He couldn't care less for it, but he's the one in real danger of these life-threatening issues and ultimately succumbs to it. You know, so, you know, these Why things run that she's your obsessed life? with and that she's pretending to be dying and the whole time she wants, she wants to, she almost wants to be kind of dying because she'll get that attention. And then suddenly it happens to her best friend yeah. and she, she doesn't want that anymore. Yeah. You know, and I think that's what kind of clicks for her to wake her up. But what, yeah. what were you, what were, sorry, what, I didn't mean to. Well, it's just, it, it, it was very confusing. I thought with the whole. They said it's bees. It's not honeybees. I know that. But, you know, I was like, you know, that looks like a wasp nest. It does look like kind of like, but I think bees make hives like that, too. They're just not like What's the name for the scientific name for somebody that's um, into bees or? I don't know. I don't know. There's there's like biology or something. I I only know. (laughs) Biology. Biology. I only know ichthyology, which is fish. And you learn that from psych if you're an avid watcher of psych. So, which we we still have to discuss whether we just want to abandon the show and go straight to a psych show yeah, just because we have so much fun. I know, but I have a lot of shows that I would love to just abandon. 
Well, I wouldn't love to abandon our show, but I'd love to jump on to do like a bunch little of side shows. shows yeah. You know? Yeah. Dude, just, I, well, if, if we only had the time, maybe, maybe exactly. we're a little bit older yeah. and tired if, and if we that. If we have our guests, which if you're listening right now, if you could real quickly give us a great rating. We never ask for it, but give us a good five-star rating review. That would really help us out. It helps get the episode out there. But yeah, if we start can doing I that. Can I have another? Can I have another? No, but if we get on that and we can start doing this full time, we'd have more time to do like, you know, different show, you know, maybe like the post-credit podcast presents yeah psych or whatever so yeah. we have a side side show that side we, a, a side piece that we do <laughs> you said it i did not so uh anyways um so basically she lives in this funeral i guess it's the only funeral parlor in the the town it just happens to be operated out of her house her father's the undertaker he plays harry um i believe they're her uncle and his brother lives with him i I know in the next movie he's out in california married to that new person or whatever yeah is that his kids or is that like no so the austin o'brien is i didn't watch this movie he's he's the son of the woman that that uncle marries and she goes Uh, out to california to visit her uncle and to figure out find out more about what what her mom was like and she meets this kid that's basically his stepson yeah it's almost like her step cousin. It's really I don't know, yeah. but he's such a good actor too. I mean, he, yeah. Uh, what is his name? Masser, Masser. Uh, Richard Masser. Um, he played the original Stan in the first It movie. He killed himself before That's he right. came back to um, Derry. Or That's whatever. right. Yeah, but he he played such a good role, and 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 you kind of get a background because she has no other person. To he's ask. like the fun uncle. Yeah, the fun uncle. The funkle. The funkle. But he, you know, she really has no person asked because about her dad because her dad won't open up i thought that was a really touching scene when he told her about how his dad used to be yeah. he's like he used, he used to be, to be a funny. really funny guy yeah and it's good because you can't see that dan yeah. Aykroyd does such a good job i mean dan Aykroyd is a comedian yeah and he's in a dramatic role that has no comedy to it you know really yeah. whatsoever i mean it's like you know undertones of comedy or whatever but but he's done only like two dramatic roles right I don't know. I, I just so. I think he just did really good in this because you don't see that. You don't see him laughing and everything. But then, uh, you know, the brother's like, he's like, it wasn't like, he's, you know, she's like, my dad was funny. He's like, it wasn't like the Marx Brothers, which is yeah. such like a 70s yeah. reference, I guess. But he's like, but, you know, he made me laugh, you know, and he was already yeah. a pretty funny guy. So, well, and that's, that's the thing, you know, like she can't, she can't ask, you know, her dad about, even about her mom because her dad will not, speak about her mom until you know until the end of the movie you know near the end of the movie but he's like, just real aloof when she talks to him about anything yeah and and so and you can't ask grandma because the grandma has dementia so the only person she can really ask about who her dad used to be or who her mom was or anything mm-hmm. else like that is the uncle you know and so that was kind of a nice little insert you know for for giving us a little bit of background on you know dan Aykroyd's character because you know we wouldn't have known anything if it wasn't for him you know and you know we can we can you know make up our own use our own imagination to to you know create more of a backstory for dan Aykroyd's character because you don't really find so much about it yeah did you feel the grandma character was kind of unnecessary yeah i mean it felt like an adam sandler film in that sense, yeah, because she had to keep he, after he her, her grandma and then she she'd walk in there and start singing like she wasn't supposed to, 
and she gets in trouble for that. But I felt like the Grandmu storyline, the way that it was going in the first and the middle part, like something was going to happen at the end. Like maybe she was going to die, yeah, or something like that. Like they were setting it up, and or maybe, she was going to somehow have a, a moment of clarity. And maybe know? people going into this movie realize that it's a coming of age movie like that, and there's probably going to be maybe a little bit of tragedy. Mm-hmm. The most sense when watching this movie would make would be for her grandma to pass because of the connection she has mm-hmm. with her. And so you're like, oh, that's probably where we get our emotional weight, and then it's actually Thomas J. And so maybe that's why it was like a little red herring in there being like, okay, you know, you, people are going to think that this person's going to die and maybe make her feel a certain way about it, but it was actually her friend. Because besides that, like, I don't know, like, you know, all they really said about her was the mom died, the, mo- uh, the grandma moved in to help the dad raise her, and probably about five to seven years ago when she was like three or five, mm-hmm. she, uh, the grandma started, you know, falling into dementia, you know, and has mm-hmm. Alzheimer's and stuff. And so she really didn't have that connection to anybody anymore. And, yeah. you know, doesn't anybody have anybody to tell her what puberty is and all these kinds of things because her dad's not going to talk to her about it. So I don't know. I just thought that was, I thought it was weird, but it's whatever. Um, so she's a tomboy. She, uh, the boys all come over and pay her money to, you know, see a dead body. You know, they think that she's weird. The girls make fun of her for having Thomas J as a best friend, except for one girl who seems like she would really like to be friends with Judy. And I like how, uh, Veda makes the, the, the point and the, the line, the comment of, I only surround myself with people that are, uh, intellectually stimulating and it cuts to Thomas J we call the Calkin. He looks over at Shelley, to Jamie Lee Curtis's character, and just kind of has a smile on his face, and it's like adorable. And it's like he's like, "Yeah, that's me." <laughs> he's like, "I'm intellectually stimulating," <laughs> and it makes Jamie Lee Curtis uh, smile too. I just thought that was a really cool and a real, you know, reaction, a real scene or whatever. Veda, Veda mad dogging the girls the entire time. She like, really just, does. Just giving them the look. Yeah. So she comes down to the basement every once in a while where her dad's working, but she refuses to come around the corner to look at the dead bodies. She wants to talk about this and that, and it picks really inappropriate times to talk to him, like when he's trying to embalm his old shop teacher and everything. Even, Talk, talking about Monopoly or yeah, something. I, and, I beat Thomas J at Monopoly. Yep, and then distracting his, his assistant that's working with him, and they're singing and all that kind of stuff. But then she runs up, and she looks, checks their charts and gets their, their ailments, like this one died of prostate cancer. And so she runs to the doctor and told uh, the doctor, you know, I think it's my prostate that's acting up. You know, different don't things. Think that, like- that works out for her too well. <laughs> so she goes to this doctor who has all his patients, and uh, and by patients I mean like he 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 puts up with a lot because he doesn't have any patients, people, yeah. because he's never seeing anybody. It's always Besides empty, it, and she's uh, she's got her own personal doctor apparently. So, uh, but anyways, there it's just a typical. She's a tomboy, right? And I think because of this movie and her, I was I I, I always had crushes on tomboys mm. and stuff because they like to hang out and I, they like to do fun stuff, you know. You had crushes on boys. Yeah, so um, I'm gonna have to cut that out now. Um, so, anyways, uh, don't cut it out. And then comes to town this 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 Hollywood looking person. She comes from Detroit. She uh, pretty sure stole the camper RV. <laughs> and drove out here to Pennsylvania, and she took a job as a cosmetologist. Is that right? Yeah. Yes. Because I, 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 I always I get that, know. and the uh, cosmologist. A nail specialist. 
cosmetologist Make- specialist cosmetologist is cosmetology and cosmology is the study of the cosmos and i think that's even like um uh, what do you call it? Uh, like the signs and stuff like that. I don't know. Freaking hey, cosmetology. Hey, 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 we're not knocking people that do it. I mean, my, no, my I just can't does. think of it's what just, it's called. It's just we're not good with the the specialty names. You I don't know, know what, what I mean? it's called. Um, but yeah, that she comes to town. She's got an RV. You know, she's a traveler. She's not a home. You know, she's not anyone from their town that they're used to. You know, like uh, somebody that has a home, a normal car. She's got this RV. She dresses all Hollywood. Hippie. She wears these crazy makeup. She's like a hippie. She's you know? a hippie. Yeah, she's she's she she's sad that the '60s have ended and uh, all that kind of stuff. But she she takes it thinking it's a regular a beauty parlor because it says Sultan Fuss Parlor, but it doesn't say. F- uh, funeral parlor, parlor. So just, she just assumes that it's. I'm pretty uh, sure he did that on purpose parlor. because it's going to be extremely hard to find somebody that would probably come and do that job. And man, does he make it obvious? I mean, was this how it was back in the day? Did did is this men having game back I, in the I day? Alive walking back in, then. going, oh, hey, yeah. I mean, I don't have any problem with what you're wearing. I mean, seriously, it's great. Well, but Matt, I mean, Mad I just, Men told you know, taught us like that, that though. So I guess that was okay because Mad Men said Don it was okay. Draper. Yeah. Anyways, so uh, she th- this is the first of Veda's problems that she has to deal with in the movie is is Shelly coming to town because she likes Shelly at first, but as soon as she sees the bond starting to form between Shelly and her dad, she doesn't like it anymore. She gets pissed, um, and so she has to deal with how to get rid of Shelly. She gets excited when Shelly's ex husband comes out. She's like, "Oh, are you here to take Shelly back?" and everything. You know, and 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 no filter whatsoever. When they're in the bump, <laughs> when they're in the bumper cars, and she's going after Shelly in the bumper cars. I mean, that's one of my favorite scenes. Seeing Jamie Lee Curtis like slowly just sink into the realization that this girl's really after her, and like she's laughing at first, but she keeps getting just slammed in the bumper cars by Veda, mm-hmm. and she she like slowly starts to look more and more panicked. I thought it was a great job on Jamie yeah. Lee Curtis's. Uh, on her part and everything but um did you see that little casket that was brought in at the beginning i did do you think that was thomas J's the one that they actually used you think it was like a little bit of foreshadowing from the director and then that's maybe the actual i think that's what actually the director said though i'm pretty sure oh really yeah i think he actually mentioned that that was the foreshadowing and then also you know saying how tom i mean it was kind of obvious there too especially with telling you know thomas J's allergic to everything you know i mean you could have said that in, in citing, but it was mentioned a couple times. Yeah. You know, so I, I think that that was a bit of foreshadowing, too. Um, but definitely the casket. I mean, obviously the casket, you know, I mean, it was just it, you didn't have to show them bringing in a child casket unless you were foreshadowing. Yeah, because then she even said, you know, why is that casket so small? Is it for a child? And she's like, he goes, no, it's for little people, <laughs> you know, short people. That's that's what it's for. Um you know, something about Veda, she, I don't think, you know, a lot of people say, well, she's obsessed with death. I don't think she's obsessed with death. I think she fears death because of her mom and everything like that. Because when it has to do with her, she has to bring it down to a level that she can understand and be okay with mm-hmm. it because she doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't know how to deal with her mom, with the bodies in her house. So she, that's why I think, and you know, this is kind of what Thomas J speaks to when the nurse asks him, you know, like, what do you think Veda does this? And he explains his thing. And you're like, if she's one of them, then he won't have to be afraid of them. Or she won't have to be afraid of him anymore. 
kind of like along those lines. She goes, you know, you're a good friend and everything. But I think she has to make them into something that she can act out to be okay with it. Because when she's in real danger of death or like even being in the same room, she panics and she flips the freak out. Yeah. Like, you know, she's just going through and she's always like, oh, I think I'm dying. Goes to the doctor's office. But when she gets her ball trapped down there and the door gets locked, she flips out. You know, when she gets her first period and she's actually bleeding and everything, she flips out. She's like, oh, my God, what's happening to me? You know, everything. So you see this real panic in her. So you understand that the reason that she is a hypochondriac like that is because she needs to make sense of it because it'll scare her too much if she gets too real with it. Does that make any sense to you? Yeah. Yeah. I think. Yeah, I mean, that's really the gist of it. I mean, it's pretty obvious, too, you know, as far as... I, I don't think there's any depth into the reason why she... The, at least what I feel is there wasn't really any depth to why she acted the way she did. It was kind of obvious. I mean, I think any kid that would live in a in a um, funeral home, actually live above a funeral home with dead bodies down in your basement, you know... Um, would probably be acting out in a similar fashion. Yeah. You know, now I do have a question that I didn't really get in the movie. Okay. When they're on the date, they get back from the bingo and he stands there and Jimmy Lee Curtis looks back at him waiting for her to waiting for him to open her door. Mm -hmm. Why did he look at her from the side eye and then just look straight up with his hands in front of him? Because, before he went out on the date, um, and I think the kids were talking, because this is the second time I've watched this this week, but that was your first time watching it this week. Yeah. And I think the kids were talking something like that when it happened, so maybe you missed it. But um, <clears throat> before he went out on the date, his brother was like, his older brother was like, you know, let me tell you how girls are nowadays. You know, 70s girls, everything's different. It's all about women's liberation. You can't hold oh, the door I open for Oh, I must have that. Yeah, he goes, oh, it's all about this. You can't hold the door open for him. You can't do this, this, and that. Let me fill you in on today's woman. Since the last time you dated, something happened. The sexual revolution. Now, before that, you used to have to hold a door open for a woman, pull her chair out, pick up the check. No more, no more. You want to know what else is missing? Bras. Oh, come on. Harry, I'm serious. Trust me, Harry. This woman's lib thing is in. You got to treat her like every Tom, Dick, and Harry. Are you sure about all this? Did you not tell Veda I'm a womanizer, huh? So that's why, like, when they went to go eat, he was going to pull her chair out, but then he went and sat down and let her sit down herself. And then when he pulled up in the car, he was going to go open her door for her, but then he was like, oh, wait, no, I got to listen to what my brother said. And that's why she was like, you seem really cold. Usually he's like, ah, that's my brother. You know, he told me about this whole women's liberation thing. But that's what she liked about him is because he, I think, because he seemed old-fashioned. Yeah, and he made, you know, he, he actually made an effort to to try to, you know, make her happy and mm -hmm. comfortable, you know. And I mean? it was his natural reaction to pull the chair out, to open I, the I door. Guess I guess I totally miss it. I mean, I, I've watched this movie a couple times. And yeah. I just, I guess I totally, I must have went to the back. I probably would have forgotten part. it, too, if I hadn't then saw that scene where he's like, oh, no, let me tell you how you treat women. You yeah. know, you got to act cold and all this kind of stuff. And I just saw that and I was like, that's kind of awkward. That's extremely awkward for yeah. me to watch. Uh, and then Jamie Lee Curtis is waiting for him to open the door. And then, know? of course, you think that they're going to, you know, um, visit a certain town that rhymes with town and uh, in the, in her camper. And then he just gets up and goes and leaves. 
That's very. That's also very um, old fashioned. Yeah, old fashioned. Not something that you see much. Maybe it's just like implied that they stay in there or whatever. But he like cockily walks away, and it's like this is the only time you see Dan Aykroyd as like this tough guy, smooth, suave personality true. <laughs> in a movie like Very that. True. Like whenever he punched uh, Danny Shelley's ex husband yeah. and everything, it's like yeah, well, I don't you're know, not Tommy used to Boy. Seeing... He was kind of like that too because he was kind of a jerk. Tommy Boy. I guess he. Oh yeah, because no, he wasn't um, Tommy's dad. He was the competition. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It was so funny when Thomas J knocked on the door and she was uh, she's like what? Come back in and he goes he goes. Hi Veda, can you come out? I don't know. Please, it's real hot. Maybe we can go swimming. No. Get out of here. And don't come back for five to seven days. <laughs> He's just like left there with his eyes wide open, like just that in poor shock. kid. That poor kid. She she put him through a lot of nonsense, but you know he was kind of comfortable around her though. You he know, was he, used to it. He knew yeah. who she was. He didn't take any offense by it and all that kind of stuff. It's just that they were complete opposites. And usually friends usually kind of like gravitate towards each other because you have one who would like to get out there, but is content with just having a friend that goes and does all that and being close proximity to something like that. And you have somebody else who goes like that, but you know maybe wants a calm presence around them or something. I don't know. But for some reason, those two were were came together as really good friends. Honestly, I think it has to do with what I was saying, the mirror between them where she wants to be sick and he's so close to always being sick. And um, he has n- absolutely no judgment towards how she is. You yeah. know, everybody else thinks she's a weirdo. And he's like, oh, you know, her mom died and she blah. He's very, like, smart about it, very matter-of-factly about it. And, well, and he's, he's a lot. He's a lot older for his age. If what's the term for that? Uh, wise, wise beyond his years. Yes, type there we of go. Thing. Yeah, yeah. He, he he understood like again because you know he pretty much had a death sentence on him. You know, twenty four seven. You know, I mean, he was just living life. You know, not as bad as some people, but yeah, pretty. yeah. But I mean, you know, he, he it was all it would take is one moment like it did. You know, and 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 he just kind of. He knew the way the world went, you know, and he knew the way that, you know, she was and, and she, he kind of understood it and just kind of he didn't really bother anybody. You know what I mean? <laughs> Do you remember when she called him a retard? Oh, man, you can't say that. nowadays. You can't. But she was like, you retard. <laughs> Such a hateful word. It is a hateful word, but it was never it meant. Was whole, it, it was funny in the movie. It was never meant to be like, I understand that that, you know, and. I, I don't know how I'd react if my kid had to deal with certain, you know, you have people that are, I don't know, we don't have to get into that, but yeah, <laughs> it was just a, you know, certain, certain part there that made me laugh. Um, so here's what I was going to ask when they caught the fish and then he didn't want to pull the the hook out and she did. And then they threw it back and she was like, did it swim away? Why do you think Thomas J lied about the fish? Now that we've talked about how she feels about death. Why do you think? Because remember, it didn't. It floated there, and it was dead. The fish was dead. But he told her, "Ah, it swam away." I think you know he he uh, he understood Veda probably better than anybody. You yep. know, he he understood, you know, her mindset, and he understood that you know she put on a facade about you know loving death and the concept. Death of is it. a and hugely important thing yeah, to her. Yeah, and he understood that you know that was a facade for her. You know, she was just really confused and hurting. 
you know, her entire life. So uh, up to this point, and I think he understood her better than anybody else. And so he, he knew that by saying, no, you know, this fish is dead, uh, that that would have probably affected her in a little bit more, you know, than saying, oh no, it's, it's okay. He, he, he swam away. It seemed like he had a pretty healthy disposition on death too. Like, you know, most kids, maybe her or whatever, and maybe boys were a little less like this, but you know, when the fish died or whatever, instead of being like, Oh, the fish died, you know, him understanding, well, we're fishing the fish is dead now. You know, it seemed like he was okay with it, but he knew that she would be like, Oh no, you know, she was taking gentle care of the fish to get the hook out and everything and putting the care and then putting it back in the water. He didn't want her to, he knows that she blames herself, but she even says it in the, the thing, you know, when the teacher tells her, I want you to look inside and tell me who you really are deep down in your soul tell me your deepest secret and everything and that sounds really creepy coming from a teacher but you know it's with the creative writing thing or whatever but you know she's like i'm afraid i killed my mother and i think he knew that thomas j knew that she was afraid of that so he didn't want her to think that she'd kill the fish too yeah. you know so and it's just a little fish or whatever but it's kind of metaphorical as well yeah. like i said he, he understood her better than everybody else you know yeah uh, did you have a blood brother with anybody I mean, nowadays, the thought of that probably horrifies us. It horrifies me. <laughs> I'm trying to think. There might have been. I don't know. I can't think of anybody. Really. I don't know if we had, but but that's that's very uh, unsanitary what they did. But I remember. I, I could have sworn I've done it too. Well, you know, you, kids, you, you kids have the same blood running through me anyways. Anyway, like brother, where did that so come through? Like kids were spreading each other's blood to each other across the country i don't know tons was, of kids were doing that back in the 70s 80s 90s it was a big thing in the uk when this movie came out though because they they uh they had to put a warning on it because um you know with hiv being you know real mm -hmm. big during the 80s and you know so on and so forth well this is the late 90s so yeah it was still going well on you know what i mean there. like starting out there well, it was still going on yeah and 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 so they had to put some kind of warning on it because saying you know suggesting to kids not to do this i did because, not know that yep they actually did it was something in the uk that they did uh, it was some kind of warning or something that they had to put out because of that um you know basically telling kids you know don't do that <laughs> yeah um so uh oh okay um all right so let's talk about the the real quick the uh the relationship between veda and her teacher um now, this teacher, Mr. Bixler, played by Griffin Dunn. Do you remember Griffin Dunn in anything else? I remember him from one other thing that I barely watched, I think, when I was older. But it was more of a preview on one of our VHS tapes. I don't know if you remember it. Um, is it Griffin Dunn or Dune? I think it's Dunn. Anyways, he was in this movie called Step Kids. But it was also later titled... Um, Big girls don't cry; they get even. Something like that. Yeah. But it was on our. It was either Ninja Turtles or Ninja Turtles Part Two: Secret of the Ooze VHS tape. It was on the preview of that, and it was about this girl who, and she was in the Home Alone movie with Macaulay Culkin, and uh, she. But in this movie, she was the daughter, and she had a step, a father, a dad, a father, a mother, a stepfather, a stepmother. And then all kinds of weird family, this person's dating this person and this person. It's really weird, but it was on a preview of one of those. I'll have to throw that 
the uh, the song in there is. I just remember that guy from that movie. Um, he played like the dad in that movie. Um, but uh, in this movie, um, he plays the object of Veda's crush. So she's like, you know, obviously she tells him she's in love with him, but she just has this huge crush on her teacher, Mr. Bixler. And he tells her about this writing class that he's teaching over the summer to help him pay for his house repairs and stuff. And he's like, ah, go play kids and everything. Um, and then she paid for his class to go into his class. Now they had to walk a very thin line here, don't well, you she think? Well, she didn't pay for it. Actually, Jamie Lee Curtis. Well, you know what I mean. Yeah, she stole money and everything. But don't you think they had to walk a very thin line because you had movies like this where you have like Lolita, yeah, like underage that. with predators and everything, and it could get to the point where now she's going to a summer reading class taught by this teacher. Yeah, there's other adults in there, but. It's like we all know that she's here just because she has a crush on the guy and everything. So it's it's a little, but I mean they played it perfectly because I, I didn't get any kind of creep factor out of it really. Not from him at least. She no. she was kind of creepy about it. As but. long as he's like going to her dad's house afterwards, like when she's run away and saying, "Look, you know she has a crush on me. She came up, blah blah yeah. blah blah blah." As long as he's telling people about this yeah. and, and all that. But I mean, she has almost it's almost unhealthy. Well, yeah, because you see the school picture right and. He's standing over there next to the classroom, and I pointed this out to you, too. Yeah, and she's staring at him. And, and everybody's staring ahead except for her, who is staring at him, yeah. at the teacher. So, I mean, that right there, I think if he looked at that class picture, I would have been like, mm, yeah, she, right had, she drew some mustaches on some other kids. But where I remember too, but... him from, mainly, is uh, uh, American Werewolf in London. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's right. He was in, I couldn't remember if it was Paris or, or London. It was in London, because that was the first one. Yeah. You know, but I, that's where I remember from. But anyways, you know, it, it. he wasn't the creepy one about it. She was more the right, creepy one right. about it. Right, right. And so, and that's usually how it works that way. You want to see that person, like, if something like that happens, you immediately go to that person's parents. Immediately. And you talk it out. And saying, like, one, like, hey, you need to talk with her. We should probably spend some time apart. We should probably make sure she's not in my class and all that kind of stuff because it's inappropriate and everything. Because a crush is one thing, but now she's starting to come over to his house. She's starting to come to his other job. It's and it's not like she doesn't mean it in a creepy way or whatever, but it's it's not a good situation, whatever. But um, she she's in love. I think she you know she says she's in love with him. I obviously I don't think she's actually in love with him and everything. She has a huge crush. How do you think that? How do you think she feels about like Thomas J and her relationship with him? You know, with she's obviously hitting puberty. She's starting to have these feelings and everything, um, especially for her teacher. But Love she doesn't feel Yeah, but she doesn't feel that way really for anybody else. So you get a sense every once in a while that maybe she's with Thomas J, but I think that's more of just curiosity, and that they they true. I think. Here's my opinion. I think that they truly are just good friends. They, they don't. Oh, like, yeah. I think, though, after the kiss, 
he had a crush on her. Like, like he like. I I think it kind of fell for her. I I think she was with him. But that's when he kind of became open about it. Yeah, but I think she was with him because he was a little weird, and so he was an outcast like her. He was an outcast, but also because again, you know, he had all these illnesses and he was intellectually stimulating well yeah (laughs) but i mean he had all these illnesses it was like like carrying death with you in a way you know what i mean and hanging out with death in a sense you know and and i kind of feel like that's the reason that that she she was friends with him but she you know because she treated him like crap to be honest with you you know she treated thomas J. not not to the point where it was like real bad but it was she kind of pushed him around she kind of basically made him do whatever she wanted well, she was to the do. alpha between those yeah, two yeah. yeah and she she only treated him like that when she wanted to do something he didn't want to yeah but when they were going along with it they were they were good with each other it was only when he was like well i really got to get home yeah. because then he's like being like a normal kid should be you know it's like well mm-hmm. it's time to go home now and she's like you know what's wrong with you you know yeah. that type of thing so um yeah, I, I, I was trying to figure out because, you know, of course, when I was young, I'm like, oh, these kids loved each other probably because, you know, I had a crush on her and everything. And you think, oh, these kids. But you don't realize when you get older that kids don't know what real love is. Oh, well, my, my well, crush. Or real romantic. They're just not mature enough to know right. about romantic love. My crush as a kid was always Princess Leia. I mean, yeah, so from, from the get-go. Good old Carrie. Yeah. Right yeah. from the beginning. Right from the beginning, it was always Princess Leia. But so. I think after they had that kiss, she had a crush on her. He had a crush on her. And maybe she, because, I mean, he even said, he's like, what'd you think of me? And she goes, for what? And he goes, well, if it doesn't work out with Mr. Bixler, because she said she was going to grow up and marry Mr. Bixler. And he's like, if it doesn't work out with him and you can't marry him, what do you think of me? And I think she, that was the best line in the entire movie. Yeah. I, th- I think that he's a little bit healthier in his mind, so he knows what he likes, what he likes. I think he knows that he has a crush on her. I think that deep down she probably does too, but like she's got all these emotions in a ball right now. She doesn't know where to place them. She's, she's messed up with her head because she can't deal with death. She can't deal with her past and what her mom does. She's dealing with a lot of problems that a kid her age shouldn't be. And, um, and she's, uh, she's got these feelings for Mr. Bixler and she's going through puberty. So she's got these certain, you know, chemicals in her brain and everything. And, you know, probably attraction for boys are starting to happen and everything. So I think she's probably got some, some kind of feeling for Thomas J in there somewhere. She just doesn't know how to process it and doesn't recognize it. So it's just friends. They're just friends for her. And maybe it's not until afterwards she realizes, you know, oh, we could have, you know, maybe grown up together or whatever. But um, uh, what was I going to say? Let's see. So, anyways, um, they'd been kicking a bee's nest earlier in the movie, and she drops her mood ring that she got from her mom, and it's always black, and it's never another color. And and I, and I don't, I honestly don't think the mood ring is there to represent her mood i think it's there to represent where veda is in life i think it's it's a mood ring for the story but it's the director and the writer's way of showing us the audience how her mindset is and right now it's black because she's not got a very good outlook on life and everything she drops it while they go and, and looking for the bees and she can't find it and she's lost it and she and thomas j knows that it's one of the most important things to her is her ring and um so after they uh, after they have their first kiss, why do you think people want to get married? Want to get older? You just have to. I'm going to marry Mr. Bixler. I can't marry a teacher. 
it's against the law. It is not. Yes, it is, because then he'll give you all A's and it won't be fair. Not true. Have you ever kissed anyone? Like they do on TV? Mm-hmm. No. Well, maybe we should just see what's the big deal. But I don't know how. Here, practice on your arm like this. Like this? Mm-hmm. Okay, enough practice. Close your eyes. Then I won't be able to see anything. Just do it. Okay, okay. Okay, on the count of three. One, two, two and a half, three. something is too quiet <laughs> and then there's a long shot of her riding away and i hate that scene in the movie because i always remember how sad it made me when i was younger and everything but you know it's like a long look of her riding away better not tell anyone better not either well let's spin on it okay <laughs> see you tomorrow okay see ya beta what what you think of me for what well, if you don't get to marry Mr. Bixler. I guess. And anybody who watches movies should know that that's like a, a red flag or whatever. Yeah. But uh, so anyways, he uh, he goes back to look for her rings and the, the bees aren't so abandoned uh, from the hive as you thought they might be. And they start swarming him and they end up killing Thomas J. They sting him too many times. His allergies, he just couldn't, his body couldn't keep up with it. Um, but he was finding her ring and he had it on him. So, of course, we get the funeral scene. They're trying, and here's a thing that I, I saw she was in her room, didn't want to come out of her room. From the moment they brought Thomas J's body into the house, she stayed in her room. If she had come down to the bottom floor, the lower floor, the ground floor, she would be that much closer to Thomas J's body, who was in the basement, that basement that she hates so much. You know, so she didn't want to come to the bottom floor. She wanted to stay as far away from it as she can. She, you know, I'm surprised she didn't leave the house. But she uh, she finally came down for the funeral. And, you know, there's the famous thing of her coming in while they're trying to do the funeral. And she's like, you know, the bee stings are hurt his face. And where's his glasses? He needs his glasses. One go tree climbing Thomas J. His face hurts. And where is his glasses? He can't see without his glasses. Put his glasses on. Put on his glasses. He was going to be an acrobat. He's gone, sweetheart. He's gone. Yeah, but I think I thought that was an extra special moment for Thomas J's parents. You know, because it, it showed that you know somebody there, cared for him somebody that much. cared for him that much besides his parents you know mm-hmm. and and so i thought that was an extra special moment for his parents more than anything you know because you know it did it pan to the parents obviously and mm-hmm. and the mother and, and father the father they kind of just let it happen yeah yeah and they they weren't arguing they weren't you know uh protesting it at all they weren't getting up and and you know but they they were it was extra special for them because, you know, they, they realized that, you know, there were people out there that actually cared about him, you know, as much as they did. You know what I mean? Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, and so she runs away. And so her world's been shattered because of Thomas J. She runs to her teacher's house and finds out that he's about to get engaged. So her world's shattered even more. The about teeth to get married because he already is engaged. Yeah. So the two things that were really keeping her tethered to happiness, yeah. she's lost her father. She's lost her mother. She feels like she's lost her father. She's lost her mother. Uh, the only thing she had really was what she was hoping would happen with her teacher and and her best friend. And now she's just yeah. lost her best friend, and now she lost what she was hoping would happen with her teacher. And, and him telling, you know, I'm not interested. I'm getting married. You know, this she's going to be my wife. I don't think it was an attachment, or she didn't lose everything that she was happy about. I think she she was losing stuff that was kind of holding her back from being happy. Well, maybe it's it's these things that that were her her crutches. I don't think her friendship with Thomas J really was a crutch, though. Maybe it was. Maybe it was. You know, he allowed her to be a certain way he, because yeah, he was a yeah, certain way or whatever. Yeah. Because afterwards, then she got like what would be a healthier relationship with a friend, and it's another girl. Um, and notice she was wearing a dress as at she the grows end up. When when exactly. the girl she picked her up, tomboy she wasn't anymore. a tomboy. And I'm not saying it was a bad thing for Thomas J to die. And I don't think he you mean was a good thing. You're not saying it was a good yeah, thing. Yeah, it, it wasn't a good thing for him to die. Uh, but it, in a way, he was kind of holding her back, too. You know what I mean? Because those girls didn't want to hang out with her because of Thomas J. I'm not saying, again, I'm not saying it was a good thing. But the fact that those girls didn't want to hang out with her because of Thomas J. She was always trying to get her dad's attention, you know, when now her dad's attention switched to, you know, the new wife. And okay, so. Where, where Jamie Lee Curtis comes in, and then also Jamie Lee Curtis has brought her out to be more of a, of a girl and understand a relationship of a mother and a daughter, you know, and all these things that are happening are all good things. I mean, obviously Thomas J not dying or dying. Well, is not yeah, that's why I want to rephrase that to then to, um, you know, that that's, that's uh, one of those things that are most important to her, at least. Basically what I want to say is that at the end of the movie, you know, she had, she had Thomas J there. He was the only thing that really keeping her afloat. Because she had this thing, and I knew deep. I think deep down, she knew she couldn't be with her teacher, but it was just something like this thing that she was allowing herself to be. Um, she was a certain way with her dad, even though she wanted more of his attention. She was okay and comfortable with the way they were, and Shelley was ruining all that. So you know, with this with this thing with Thomas J dying, um, and her teacher saying, you know, oh no, I'm I'm getting married and everything. That's that's what was keeping her afloat, and she just started to drown after that, and she lost it herself. And uh, but like you were saying, you know, she needed something to reset her because ever since her birth, basically, she found out that you know her mom died giving birth and everything. She's had this thing where she's always had this guilt, and she finally asked the question that she sets up at the beginning of the movie she, uh, when. She does all that, and she finally comes back home and gets in bed, and her dad comes up. She finally asks a question that she's needed to ask her whole life, and she says, did I kill my mother? And uh, he goes, what? what? And he, she said, the bees killed Thomas J, and I killed my mother. So the bees killing Thomas J woke her up to, like, the reality of death before. It had just been a fantasy and wondering this and that and what he'd heard about mother. Now she's dealt with it. Now this is the reality of death, and it's made it okay for her to ask that question. Did I kill my mother? And 
he explains to her, no, you know, of course not. You know, your mother loved you. And, uh, you know, they have their whole scene and everything. But I just thought it was interesting because before that, she was in that tree, right? She had run away. She went to the weeping willow tree, which was an actual weep, uh, willow tree. It was actually an oak tree because they found the perfect pond. So jacked up what they did to that tree. But they took all the branches off and then put metal branches with fake leaves to make it look like a weeping willow tree. So that that tree is probably if, an old yeah dead tree. I wonder or if Arborist protested this movie. They could have. But yeah, they basically turned that into a willow tree. But she was, she was swinging in it, and I think that's where she was kind of mentally preparing her poem that she was going to read later on. But she's, she's, she was sitting and her and Thomas J would always swing and hang out in that tree. But I think as she jumped out of the tree, that was her growing up and that was her letting go of what was before pretty much. Um, you know, because after that she admitted she stole from Shelly. She stopped going to the doctor. She had stopped her animosity towards Shelly. She was more sensible about Mr. Bixler. Um, she said she should have told Thomas J that he was her best friend. You know, she should have done all these things and everything. And that's when, you know, she finally gets home and she's hearing all these things like, you know, would you think of me and all that? Whenever she finally jumps out of the tree, she asked that question and she says, you know, the bees killed Thomas J and I killed, uh, my mother. Yeah. I killed my mother. And, you know, I think, I think Thomas J dying equalized Veda. She yeah. was always kind of off kilter out of key uh, out of sync because of her mother but he told he told the mom you know every time i see a climbing tree i'll think of thomas J. you know and the mood ring when she gave back she, thomas J had this on him and the mood ring was blue mm-hmm. it wasn't black anymore but it was blue before she even put it on and yeah. handed it back that's why i think it's the filmmaker's way of showing that things are different now for veda it's not black she's found some way to be healthy about it because now this is hit close to home. It's something that she's actually had to deal with and everything. So, you know, and I think, you know, she is the weeping willow and the, you know, the, the, what she reads about, uh, the, or the, the poem that she writes about weeping willow. It says, weeping willow with your tears running down. Why do you always weep and frown? And it's talking, she's talking about herself. She's the weeping willow. You know, your tears running down. Why do you always weep and frown? Is it because he left you one day? because he could not stay she's talking about thomas J, but she's also talking about her mom her mom leaving the person that died yeah. on your branches he would swing do you long for the happiness that they would bring he found shelter in your shade he thought his laughter would never fade weeping willow stop your tears there is something to calm your fears you think death as if you forever part, and I know he'll always be in your heart. So you know, it's just showing that um, that like she's the weeping willow, and and even though you the person's gone, it doesn't mean they have to be gone forever. They can continue to make you who you yeah. are, which yeah. is what she's been doing with all these people she's interacted with. She not only takes on their symptoms of them dying, mm-hmm. quote unquote. But she takes on life lessons from each one, and Thomas J. gave her the biggest one. I think in the next movie she even goes, you know, he was a really good friend. He meant a lot to me, all this kind of stuff. So she's still taking him along with her mother now where she goes, and she's a bit equalized. Um, so, you know, she blamed herself for her mother's death, so she feels she has to be sick or dying too. 
yeah. throughout the whole movie, you know. Mm-hmm. And when it happens to Thomas J, it kind of snaps her back to reality, back like to Eminem reality stuff. So, anyways, uh, this is a great film. It's like along the lines of um, Bridge to Terabithia. You know, these movies that I watched with my kids when I got older, and I'm like, how are these children's movies? These are terrible. This is so sad. I've never seen Bridge to Terror. It's a very sad movie, and it's along the lines of My Girl, so I'm sure you can figure out what that means. But it's one of those things where you're just like, how do these happen in kids' movies? <laughs> but, you know, a lot of people, they, they this thing got originally got a PG-13 rating just because mm-hmm. of what's been going on. I mean, yeah. you kill off the, the, the most famous kid, in the world basically at that time yeah you know celebrity actor whatever but you know like i said my first crush i love this movie uh mccullough culkin was my boy when i was younger you know (laughs) he was a hilarious kid and everything and you know there's a lot of coming of age movies and this is probably top on my list yeah definitely for coming of age do you do you have any other coming of age movies that you like like Old Yeller, Where the Red Fern Grows. You had to put me on the spot on that one. I mean, say anything, obviously. Sort yeah, but okay, so like around this age group type oh. of coming of age story. <clears throat> where kids have to go through something tragic and, and, and learn how to grow up after that. The Narnia movies. Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, Harry Potter's. I guess yeah. all those young adult ones are kind of yeah. coming of age type stuff. Yeah. But the Narnia ones, I remember. I mean, the thing is, is before the way before the movies came out, I read the books when I was I was that age. You know, I mean, mm-hmm. I was young, young, and I remember reading all the C.S. Lewis books, and, and and that was kind of a coming of age story too. But I mean, that was even based before my time. Yeah, you know, like during the kids World going War through World War yeah. Two and having to hide from the yeah, having to leave London just because yeah. it's too the dangerous and, and everything. Yeah, I like this. I like uh, what's the other. Uh, one that I was just thinking of. Uh, I can't remember. But yeah, <laughs> movies like this really get to me where, yeah. you know, you have some kind of a tragedy. Like Phenomenon. That's not a coming of age one, but I like that Phenomenon. one. Like, I like when you have people that aren't some, you don't think are going to die, but then they die. Yeah, that's from uh, when that first came out. That was the, the Muppet Show. Yes. Uh, because at first it was... Phenomena, boom, phenomena, and then they changed it to phenomena. Yeah, I, I know. I, I, it just got stuck in my head. It's good. I think forever. So, well, if you guys get the chance, uh, watch this movie. Watch Veep. Anna Klumski is hilarious in that that show. As always, uh, it's really good stuff. And has Tony Hale from uh, Arrested Development. He's also in it as well. He's pretty funny. Uh, Julia Louis Dreyfus, she's from Seinfeld. She's great, but uh, she's pretty funny. Um, and uh, look up uh, the Pizza Underground, uh, yeah. Macaulay Culkin's band. He plays like percussion and vocals, and you know, like the kazoo and stuff like that. Uh, and and Macaulay Culkin's about to be on American Horror Story. Oh, is he? Season and uh, that makes my, sense. my daughter keeps on reminding me about that. But who did he get uh, married to? Uh, the girl from uh, Sweet Life. Oh, Brenda Song. That's right. Yes, yes. And they just had a baby, actually. Oh, okay. Too. But, uh, yeah, he's about to be on the next season of uh, American Horror Story. Is well. this the Culkin that you prefer? Oh, absolutely. Over Rory and um, Kieran? Absolutely. He's sitting on that hill laughing at his brothers <laughs> as they're trying to climb up it. He's sitting on his hill of money, you yes, mean? Yes, his hill of money. His hill of money. 
All right. Well, uh, we enjoy this movie. I believe it's free on Netflix. If you want to go get it, uh, should be on Netflix. I'm not sure about part two, but part two is all right too. Uh, it's just not as poignant and uh, important as this first one. I think it's just kind of a more instead of making a point about life and death and how it affects young people, it's more just kind of a continuation of Vader growing up and you know getting a boyfriend and all that kind of stuff. So. Um, ruin it. Don't ruin it. Uh, if you guys want to get a hold of us, we're on all social media at the Post Credit Podcast. Uh, except for Twitter, we're at the Post Credit. Uh, our email address is thepostcreditpodcast at gmail.com. We have a website. It's www.thepostcreditpodcast.com. And we're on YouTube. Uh, we appreciate you guys listening, and we'll see you next time. And throw me a bow.